Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Tora, welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So um, I know you from the days at Mozilla when um, you used to work there, and I, I'm still there to some extent, um, but you have moved on and started your own company. Uh, and I know the work, I followed the work that you did at Mozilla, and I've, I've been following the work you, you've been doing with your own company. And I I really appreciate and um, respect your input and your the way you look at a lot of things. And I think this podcast is going to be a little different than some of the others I've done, but it's intentionally so, because I think these are really important topics to talk about. And, um, you know, for early stage people, I think they need to understand that there's more to the tech industry and more to a job than just writing code. Um, how we work with each other and how we interact is is as critical as the code we write. And oftentimes, a unwelcoming uh, environment is going to lead to not great work. And so your code might actually end up suffering because the environment's not great. And I think I've also spoken to some uh, woman that has had it a little tough, especially the one, Pamela, who uh, came from Mexico, um, where, you know, being the only woman in the room was definitely hard and definitely tough, and it did affect how she, how, how comfortable she felt. And you know, you don't, you don't voice your opinion in those situations, and that, that is a loss for the company because we want diverse voices, because it makes our products better, it makes our everything better. So that's why I wanted to to have a, a chat about this. So, but I don't want to ramble on. I want to give you the floor and. I want you to tell us about who you are um, and please take as much time as you want, go as far back as you want um, and be as detailed as you want. Thanks. Um, so my name is Tara Robertson. I'm in Vancouver, Canada on the unceded traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Um, doing a land acknowledgement like this is fairly common in Canada, um, but I think if we're going to talk about power and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, like the land that I'm on and the power dynamics just that exist in a in a in a like a, a colonial setting, um, they kind of inform everything. Um, I also just think about the land that I'm on, and during the pandemic, um, the mountains, the forest, the ocean, like. I've been able to really resource myself and my brain and my heart and my spirit from the land. So the land takes care of me, like literally, and we've got a responsibility to figure out how we take care of the land as well. Um, yeah, for sure. That wasn't a tangent I expected to go on, but I'm glad um, you did. yeah, like, and it's, this is like kind of the magic of the internet. Cause we're, it's 11 AM where I'm at and it's nighttime where you are. And we met at a certain time at Mozilla and before we hopped on, we were just, I just, we we're talking about the fondness that we have for the people and the culture and the work there. Like, yeah. so yeah. I kind of love like at Mozilla, we were fighting to keep the internet open and accessible for all. And right now we're connected through the internet on the internet to have this conversation about culture and how we want to work together. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So right now, um, as a as a consultant, I do two different things. I do um, data-driven diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy work with companies and organizations 
who want to have like an overall strategy so that they can really make this work part of everything that they do from like the employee, the employee experience through to the marketing team, through the products and services that a company is offering, as well as stuff like procurement and where they're doing banking. Like for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a lens that we need to view everything through, not just like how we write a job description and who we hire. I love what you touched on about like people who think it's just about writing code, like that work happens like in, in a context and just thinking about the problems that we have right now, they're huge in the world. And the, the problems that we're trying to solve in tech are really complex, wicked problems. So we also need an environment where there's psychological safety and people feel like they can speak up either with like a wildly creative idea that might sound like just way out there and also speak up when they see something that's wrong. And both of those things take a lot of courage. They do. So they like do. there's the individual courage to speak up, but there's also how the kind of culture that we build day after day together, where at I, we either build a culture where we can take risks and we're more likely to take those risks together or not where we, we keep our, our great ideas to ourselves, or when we see something that's getting shipped, you're like, oh, is that going to break something? I don't know. I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah. Like, yeah, we exactly. all lose out. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, and and, and, and this is something that a previous guest has, has touched on. Um, uh, they She talked about harassment in, in the workspace, and in Mexico, the laws are a little fast and loose when it comes to that. And basically, she was talking to somebody and they said, well, one of your options is to go to the CEO and demand change. And I'm like, wow, that is super scary. Like if you're somebody, this individual that already feels out of place and now you feel uncomfortable and harassed, but you're depending on this job to feed your family and your only recourse is to go to the CEO of the company and say, I demand that you do something about this. What is the chances that you will do that? It's such a scary thing and such a burden to put on somebody's shoulders. It's just not right. No. Um, and then there's also other costs, like the people who witness that kind of behavior, that harassment or discrimination, they're they're taking that data in about this is what happens here and this is what underrepresented people have to deal with. So when things happen again and nothing happens, like there's an impact to bystanders as well. Um, there's an impact to everybody, not just the person who is discriminated against. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I had to drop my dog off at the vet the other day and as we were leaving there was a woman who'd been hit on her bicycle on the road and she was in the curb lane, almost unconscious. She had like, it, it was really intense and I, people hadn't stopped. So it's, I've been thinking a lot this week about what happens when bystanders overt their eyes, when they see something that's clearly not okay and they go by and then, I don't think any of the people who drove by were bad people. And I don't think that I'm a good person. Um, there wasn't a decision in my mind that was like, get out of the car and run over. Like, it just happened. But as soon as I kind of, I don't know, popped that bubble of bystanderness, other people stopped. 
a trucker stopped and he ran into the vet to grab gloves. A woman parked her car behind to keep this woman safe. I called the ambulance while someone who had more first aid experience stepped in. Like, it just takes one person to kind of name something and follow up with some action and other things start to happen. So it's kind of an extreme example about the segments no, on the road, but it's something I've been thinking a lot about this week. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think that's a very good example. And I've seen that a lot. And I think it's because I think there's so much judgment going on that nobody wants to be the first one because you're always afraid of what if I do the wrong thing? Does this person want my help? It's it's there's there's so much confusion these days about what's okay and what's not okay. Um, yeah. I think that makes a lot of us stand back and say, I I think I'm rather not going to get involved until you see other people, and then I think our natural humanity kicks in, where we then want to all band together and and see if we can if we can change the situation. Um. I saw that you, in an interview you had on Open Spaces, OpenScapes, sorry, I keep reading it as Open Spaces. Um, in this, you mentioned two books, and I love these titles. I'm definitely going to read these books, but I want, to, want you to dig into them a little bit. So it's Braiding Sweetgrass and All We Can Save. Um, what about those two books have been so influential? One of my first clients um, when I set up my consulting business was Openscapes. Um, and they're a data science group that they they teach data science skills to researchers. So they're working with fisheries researchers, Julie Lowndes, or Dr. Julie Lowndes, um, Julie Squid on Twitter, who has, she's got a PhD in squid, um, was seeing like, how do we teach data science skills to academic researchers like in a cohort model um and they hired me to like help think about DEI early on and some some of the early things like that I would do with a company around like looking at HR data like that wasn't it because there was just a couple of them but thinking about how to weave or look through what they were doing through the lens of DEI had us like going down some interesting conversations. Like she's a marine biologist. Um, my background is in library and information studies and I'm a DEI leader now. So it's like kind of a, a co-creation and a co-design putting, putting our passions, our values and like putting our two heads together to be like, what, what is the perspective on DEI here? And one of the, the conversations we had early on was like, who who can afford to do open science and to learn openly? Um, and most of the people she was working with uh, were white researchers with PhDs. So I was thinking like, who is the most on the margins here? Where are the black researchers and where are the indigenous researchers? And like, not only how do we get those people to the table and how do we work with them but also, like, what can we learn from them? And I knew I didn't have any answers on what is what are some Indigenous perspectives on um, data science and working together collaboratively in the sciences. So we kind of started doing this. They She recommended these two books, All We Can Save, which is different perspectives on climate change. It's such an inspiring book, and it gives me so much hope. Um there's this great Venn diagram from Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. She did a TED Talk recently. 
Because I think, with, like with climate change and DEI, there's a similar feeling of overwhelm. And like, what do I do? And it's so overwhelming. So people are stuck in inaction yeah, and just yeah. like overwhelm. Um, so for me, her um, Venn diagram about what you should do is the overlap about what brings you joy? What's the work that needs doing? And what skills do you have? So I think that's a really useful model, both to think about like what what our action, individual and collective actions can be around climate change, but also how we show up around DEI in organizations. Like, what brings you joy? Like, don't sign up to do something or commit to do something that is absolute drudgery or an absolute chore. Like, you're going to hate it and you're not going to do it. But being clear about, like, what's the work that needs doing? Like, maybe it is around um, building better anti-harassment policies in your organization. Um, maybe, maybe it's around product and accessibility. Like, those are two very, very different problems. So being clear on the problem you're trying to solve. And then, like, what skills do you have? You and I, um, we, we share some values around the open internet, but we have very different backgrounds and very different skills and probably very different things in our toolboxes. So what you can bring to a problem and what I can bring are very different. So like, what's your area of genius and what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, I really like it. You shared that diagram with me in, in the document and that is actually something I've been struggling with. I'm, I've, I'm trying to find that what should it, what should I do? Um, but, and that, that is a very nice framework for thinking through this, like thinking about, cause I mean, our lives are finite and, um, it's kind of pointless to spend all our time doing something we don't, that doesn't bring us joy and that doesn't feel fulfilling and that doesn't seem to have a purpose. Um, and I, I, I know it, there's also a, a, a bit of privilege in that in that you can think about those things but i wish we can get to a place where more people can think about this because i don't think it should be a privilege i think we all should have the ability to think through what brings us joy and be able to make decisions for our lives that include having meaning um and finding joy in the work we do well you inviting me on your podcast and and also welcoming in conversations about culture and psychological safety and inclusion into a podcast where your audience is mostly like developers and um, startup folks like that your podcast brings you joy um what are the skills that you've got like you're a host and a convener of conversations that go out much broad more broadly than just the two of us yeah, yeah. and what are you good at like you're good at being a bridge to those worlds yeah, um so thank you <laughs> thank you for putting me here yeah. but, like one of the things you are doing is yeah, this. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Getting chills with, with this stuff. <laughs> so thank you for saying <laughs> that. Um, yeah, no, that's very true. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Ooh, can I? Yeah, go for it. The other book you, you, you asked about was Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, Robin Wall Kimner is, um, I don't know, like it, the, it's a book that braids together different strands of stuff. There's like, like some of the biology stuff, like indigenous perspectives on biology, some of her story, and it, it's woven together. I listen to it as an audiobook because I, I have a hard time reading books. And 
I would listen to it early in the morning as I was pottering around and just sometimes I would listen to it outside and it's a beautiful book um, that actually kind of shifted my perspective on how we know things and mm. like what science is. Mm. Mm. So I'd encourage either you to read the book or listen yeah. to it. It's really Not good. For sure. They're definitely on my list. Um, I, I heard this quote the other day. Um, I listened to a different podcast and the uh, artist Grimes. Apparently it's, it's a quote from a... Um, a Star Wars movie. And I think one of the things that you said is very similar to what she said. The quote that she had from that is, um, don't kill what you hate, save what you love. I think that was, that was really beautiful. Um, I, I heard that and I was like, holy cow, that's something I want to remember. Um, you know, don't spend your energy trying to kill what you hate, rather spend your energy saving what you love. And I think this diagram plays into that as well. So yeah, that that was that was inspiring. Um, so, what are you trying to save right now? Like, what do you love? So, I want to create opportunity for others because I feel blessed in the things that happened to me. I've taken chances, you know. I mean, before I started my uh, job at Mozilla way back eleven years ago, um, I quit my job before having had them tell me that they're going to hire me. Just because I <laughs> didn't feel joy where I was. I really didn't like it. It was kidding me. I mean, the commute, the the insane hours you had to work, the um, people just literally not having any appreciation for the work you did. I was sick of it. And mm -hmm. even, you know, being married and having kids at that time, I knew I had a bit of a fallback with my parents that they could, could support and help if things really went bad. But... I didn't do it just because of that, just because I had the safety net. I, I just felt I couldn't any longer. And um, through the years, I have met so many amazing people and I've had such um, life-changing experiences um, through Mozilla and through the people that I've met and worked with that I want to create those opportunities for other people using the connections I have. So... That's why I created the podcast. That's why I created the community because I, I know one of the struggles these people have is being visible, being seen, um, having work to show to employers. They Oftentimes they lose out because, well, how much experience you have? What have you made? Well, nothing. I'm still learning, but I, I just want my first chance. So I want to give them that first chance, even if it is, not even if it is, but I mean, you know, using open source as a, as a tool for that, like creating open source projects and running them like real projects and giving people real tasks to do in the open where they can then point to and say, I've done this. And here you can see not only that I can write code, but that I can work as a team, that I can take feedback, that I can give feedback, because all of those things are important, um, and that I can start discussions and um bring up new ideas and all that kind of stuff and then giving them this vehicle where they can where you can literally where you can hear their voice so that is that's what's important to me i you know i love to see a world where people are just happier to be honest you know you know on a day-to-day -day basis i look around me and i see so many people that are clearly not happy and it comes out as anger and it comes out as um people push each other away and i think it's it's simply because people are frustrated they're scared and they're unhappy and um 
you know, if I can do a little something to to help someone, I mean, if it, even if it's one person, then I would feel like it was worth it. I'm also hearing another layer in like the opportunities you're working to have in open source for for new developers to look and be able to say, "I did that." Like it, they're they're making a real contribution to a real project yes. that has real world impact. It's not a portfolio assignment. It's not something for a class. Like, not that there's anything wrong with those things, but there's something different about contributing to something that's bigger than what you can do on your own. Like there's a the learning, but like for me, what, what's so powerful about open source and open science and open learning is just like, I feel part of something bigger. And I love that feeling on a team where it's like one plus one equals not two, but it's like seven. <laughs> like we're, we're, we're really more than the sum of our parts. Like when that magic happens, like I just, I feel so alive and I just feel like, yes, like let's do this. We can, we can tackle big challenges together. We can do brave things. Yeah, together. no, for sure. Yeah, and that and that that is that is the idea is to build to build things that have impact. Like one of the projects is this curation thing where we want to make it easier for new developers to find the information and the the learning tools that they need. Because the more and more I speak with people, the problem is not content we're drowning in content we're drowning in information mm -hmm. it's knowing where to find the things that work for you and also being able to guide people down different pathways because some people learn well like for example you said you prefer to listen to books some people prefer to read books some people prefer video so trying to find these different resources because they all exist but it's finding them and curating them into a space where they then are easily consumable. Um, and in doing that, you're contributing to something that has real-world impact. You could potentially impact somebody else's life because they're like, wow, this resource has made it easy for me to learn this thing. Now I can contribute back to it and I might be able to get a job through, the, through all of this. And now you've taken somebody who might might not have known how they're going to go about this or somebody that was in a, in a job that they weren't happy and they wanted to really do something and you created this opportunity for them. So it's this like self-fulfilling circle of life type of thing that happens. Um, this is reminding me about the ideas toolkit that I worked yeah. on with the Carpentries, which is a global, um, it's a global nonprofit that teaches data science and coding skills to researchers worldwide. Um, I feel similarly about diversity, equity, inclusion, information. There's tons of toolkits out there. A lot of people just want to know, like, tell me the 10 things I need to do. And it was an interesting project because um, there was this need for, like, tactical, like, what do I need to do? But a lot of it is also mind, mindset stuff and like perspective shifting. So working with Dr. Carrie Jordan, who's um, an amazing woman with a PhD in engineering. She's the executive director of the Carpentries. Like we went back and forth. We worked with um, different community members around the world in their community. And there was this tension between like tell us what to do but also like we need this to be meaningful and flexible and applicable in yeah all over the world in different con in different contexts like in a 
in a university context, in a community context, and it's like, oh, like how are we gonna how are we gonna do this? And what we came up with was like for each one of these topics, um, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility, we looked at like things you can think about. So like kind of open-ended coaching questions to provoke discussion or to help people who are reading it go a little deeper and um, think about like what their stake is and what they can do and then balance that with like some tactical things that they, people can do. Yeah, I think combining those two is, is based on both goals. I think it's what you need. When you say accessibility, what does it mean to you? And when I say accessibility, I mean um, barrier-free access for people with disabilities. Um, but I'm like, oh, is that the is that the right definition? Like, um, whether it's digital, a digital space, digital information, physical space, or even like an environment. Um, what what are the conditions necessary, or what are the different ways in so that Anyone and everyone, um, whether they are disabled or not disabled, can use the information, participate in the setting, make their contributions. Um, and from a universal design kind of perspective, allowing for some of those affordances and different ways of entry and participation, it also means that a lot of other people can participate as well. Like, um, one of the examples from the physical world is a curb cut. So like in a curb, like having a, a, an incline so that someone in a wheelchair can act, get on and off the curb. But also um, a delivery person pushing a large trolley with heavy packages on it can also get up on the curb. And for me, when I'm walking my bike, it's easier to get my bike up on the curb. Like that curb cut is necessary for a person using a wheelchair to access that space. And it also makes it a lot easier for other, some other users to use that space. Too. Yeah. I love it when, when, what do you mean by accessibility? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I, I often look at it from a web perspective, of course, because being a friend engineer, that's where I can most have the most impact in, in that area. But I do love these, these examples where, making something accessible actually benefits everyone. Um, I think we're seeing more and more of that, um, giving people choice between do you, do you prefer dark mode or do you prefer light or do you prefer to switch between day and night? Something as simple as that. Um, I think just having the options there is is a good thing. Um, so for me, for me, I mostly think about that. But for me, it's it's like accessibility is not just using the right HTML elements. It's it's also about if I'm in a third world country on a low grade Android phone, can I even open your website? Because like what load shedding has taught me that is that um, so to me, maybe people wouldn't know what load shedding. Sorry, what was that word you said? Load shedding. Load shedding? Yes, let me, let me step back and maybe explain what that is. So I think in other places it's called rolling blackouts. So basically what it is is our um, electricity grid is under so much strain because of years of um, ill maintenance and corruption and all these wonderful things um, that as soon as there's anything that causes high demand, 
the grid starts to crumble and things starts to break down. And so what they have to do to avoid a complete blackout is they have to, on different schedules, depending on how bad it is, they have to switch the power off for a certain area. So you'll be without power for two hours and then you'll get power back and the area next to you will lose power. And so it will go every day and depending. Sometimes it'll be for four hours if it's really bad. Um, and so besides the fact that I have to continuously shift meetings around or not be able to attend meetings, one of the things I've done, started doing recently is I just started using my phone as like a mobile hotspot. Um, and sometimes though, when, uh, when there's, especially when there's these long bouts of, um, of load shedding going on, then I get like a 3G connection. And it's fascinating to find that for people with a 3G connection, the internet almost doesn't exist. Like you can get to nothing. Like web pages, like you try and do a search, it just doesn't load. Or you would wait two minutes just for the first two, three results to come back. And you just think that there are people whose, that is their life every day. Like not just in a load shedding environment, that is their life every day. And um, I think when our electricity is on and our power is running fine, I mean, I have a 5G connection. And so you don't realize how slow things are because everything is just instantaneous. Um, it's when that 5G goes away and you get that reality check that, this is not what everybody experiences the web like. Some people experience it like that. Then you think about that that is such a huge part of the um, accessibility of the internet is thinking about, wait a minute, before we decide to use this massive framework, how's this going to impact our users? Are they even going to be able to open our website? Because it doesn't matter how great our app is. If you can't open it up, it's useless. It can be the greatest app in the world that can solve world hunger. But if the people who need it can't open the app, it's of no use to them. So sometimes it's interesting to be put in these situations that's, I mean, honestly, infuriating, but at the same time, eye-opening. Um, it makes you think again and it makes you second guess when you just would have easily installed just, ah, just installed this extra dependency. It makes you think, wait a minute, what is that going to do down the line to the people who want to actually use this thing? Do I really need that thing? So it makes you ask those questions. And I think there, there's a diversity, equity, and inclusion kind of lens to this as well. Like one of the questions you sent me was like, what's the biggest problem in tech? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to answer <laughs> that. But now I've got the answer listening to you. I think when we've got only people in Silicon Valley from Stanford who have the newest iPhone and the the fastest connections or whatever and skew male white and a certain age like we miss out and things that are common sense or what might be common sense to you and common sense to me might just be outside of people's experience so if we're trying to design things really for everyone we need everyone at the table and everyone needs to have a voice and it, it can't be an afterthought. It has to happen from the beginning. So it's not like, uh-oh, um, the world's greatest app. Like, we need to figure out what the, the 3G access is going to be. It's like, let's design from the beginning knowing that that is going to be the access point for some people. And 
the process of doing that will lead to different outcomes. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, this conversation is making me think a lot. That's why I'm pausing. <laughs> That's why I'm pausing every now and again. Uh, What's going on in your head? A lot. That's the problem. <laughs> so I was thinking about this other thing. So I, I mentioned this in the doc that I shared. So one of the core goals of the Mycelium Network is to be welcome and to celebrate diversity and empower people. I think I've also said that with some of the things I've said earlier. Um, but sometimes you do run into situations. I haven't had to deal with it. But sometimes you do run into situations where people do come in and try to disrupt a good thing. Um, like, what is the best way to prepare yourself for this? But then even with all the reparation in the world, sometimes these things still happen. So not only how do you prepare, but what are good techniques for handling a situation where somebody comes in and to be disruptive? It's interesting because like the the research shows that more diverse groups have more conflict as well, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I think when we come from different backgrounds, like our our common sense will be very different. So being explicit about those group norms, like when we say welcoming, what does that mean? What does that look like in Slack? What does that look like when we meet in person? What does that look like when we meet on Zoom or whatever? Like talking about like the behaviors that we want to see, but also concretely, like what does that look like? Um, I think a lot about unwritten rules. So with a lot of my clients, um, I've asked like, what are the unwritten rules here? Because every community and every group has unwritten rules. Like, yeah, people who come over to my house, they, they just take their shoes off because they know I don't wear my shoes in my house. And my close friends who come over for dinner know I go to bed early and I'm going to be really clear and be like, hey, it's eight o'clock and 15 minutes I'm kicking you out. And no one's offended. Like, they're just like, you're really direct. Um, I don't have these like long, lingering, awkward goodbyes or I'm starting to get resentful because I'm tired. But like, we can do that at work as well. Um so being being explicit about group norms um, so that people can, new people can come in and know what the rules are, um, both like the official rules and like the unofficial rules. Um, and like when behavior's not in alignment with that, we can have a conversation. Uh, we can say, you know, we say we value all voices and have a norm around making sure that people don't hog all the meeting time. I've noticed in the last couple of meetings, it's the same guy who's taking up 90% of the meeting time. Like, like what do we want to do here? And what, what, like, what is the opportunity? What are we missing out? Is he aware that he's using up all the airspace? Like all these things, but we have to be on the same page about what we value, what those behaviors look like. And like those unwritten rules, we also kind of need to make make them explicit, especially in international environments. Yeah. So when you when you say the unwritten rules, does this concept of remote first play into that? Because for me that that is kind of important. Like I um I think Mozilla, I keep going back to Mozilla because it's just 
something I know really well. I think they started out as a remote-first company, but have become a remote-friendly company. And there's a distinct difference between the two. Um, and I, I always try to think remote-first. And one of the things is always try to think who's not in the room and how you can include them. Um, so does that play into this idea of the unwritten rules to actually write down the unwritten rules? I think writing them down can be helpful. Um, it's, it's always a little awkward at first because people are like, I don't know. But if you tease out or ask, um, people know what they are. Um, and it, it's kind of cool working with a group where people start to trust and like start to say the things that we all know that are true, but we don't say out loud. Um, I, I think that's really powerful. For me, like the the last couple of years have been really interesting with the pandemic and how we've adapted to work. Um, I think for me, if it's remote first or remote friendly, I think it's important that we're using the label that's in alignment with what's actually happening. Um, and I think this is a DEI thing as well because all companies will say on their careers page, you know, DEI is part of our DNA. It's like, well, what does that mean for you? Like, what does that concretely look like? Show me the receipts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if, if a company says they are remote first, like I'm curious, like what does that mean for them? That is the thing. How, how do people gather? Yeah. And like who gathers in person? Who doesn't like show me the receipts? Mm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because I mean, I'm struggling with that myself. Like, I, I'm, I say that I, I want to do whatever I create, um, whether it be the company that I'm sort of kind of building, um, or the community, or you know, whatever it may be. I, I do believe in the, in in the concept, but I'm I'm at the same time I'm struggling to really define it. Um, I'd sit in front of a page and think I'm going to write about remote first and what it is. And I really find it hard to, to nail it down. And then I start searching online to try and find like, who are the companies that really do this? Well, ah, I've heard about automatic. They seem to be doing it really well, but I can't really find anywhere where even somebody like Matt Muldenweg has really defined what that really is. Like here is the, the 10 things and i think maybe maybe that's part of the problem maybe maybe we um we always want a list of things and i don't think it's it's always that cut and dry that you can just list it, it it's more a it's a feeling it's a you you can feel when when a company is remote first certain things just happen naturally without having to necessarily mandate anything um, and therefore, nobody really sits down. And so I think that plays to the unwritten rules that, you, that you've mentioned. It's, it's unwritten rules that you've never really thought to write down because it doesn't feel like it needs to be written down. It almost feels like it's you just know that that's how things are done. So, yeah. But I, 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 I'm thinking of the ideas toolkit here, like maybe that what are the mindset pieces and like, what are the tactical things? Like, so what is the mindset of being remote first? Um, and tactically, what does that look like with, you know, the real world constraints of 
time zones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Work-life balance, um, load shedding and rolling <laughs> blackouts. Um, yeah. All like all of the myriad of ways that we work and prefer to work and like to work and what does that mean for accessibility like um i don't know how often you work with developers and web developers maybe even specifically but as they enter this world and some people are literally young folks in their early 20s that's like just doing this some are people in their 50s Somewhere in between, um, deciding that the career that they they've been doing, and I think that that's happened a lot in the last two years, where people have like realized that I don't want to go back to the job I had before this pandemic because I really was unhappy, mm-hmm. um, and some of it is out of fear because people fear that they will lose their jobs to robots. Um, whether that's justified or not is a completely separate topic, but you can't, like I say, you can't argue with somebody's experience. You can argue with an opinion, but you can't argue with somebody's experience. So if you experience fear and you want to do something and you've decided that what you're going to do is you're going to learn how to code and you're going to get into this industry. Like what are the things that, that advice that you would give them from a, from a DNI like fulfilling life perspective? Hmm. This is more from a coaching perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, Especially for people, like, actually for anyone, and whether you're new or you've been doing this for 20 years, like, there's something really honest about writing down your goals, um, your professional development goals, um, your goals, where you want to take a stand for DEI. Writing them down, like, there's something for me about putting something down on paper where I can step back and look at it. And I can also pull it out in the future and be like, I said this was important to me. How am I how am I doing there? Um, so thinking about where you want to develop and how you want to de- develop, not just like on the technical skills, but like what are the soft skills or the interpersonal skills or the collaboration skills you want to build? Like if you say you want to help new people bridge into open source, what are you doing? Like what's the plan for the next year, six months, three months? What are you doing this month? What are you doing this week? So taking those bigger goals and breaking them down into smaller chunks and then building in accountability either with your manager, with your trusted friend, with community members. Um, and, you know, you can always drop things off there, but having some rigor to your own development and investing in how you're growing your skills is super important. And I think also bringing that to like, how do you want to take a stand for DEI and what are you doing to make your workplace um, or software community more inclusive? Like, write it down. Set a measurable goal. Are you doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I- also, I think, like, if you're learning new things, for me, I'm an extroverted thinker, but there's also an accountability and learning with other people. Um, it's cool to, like, where. I'm stronger on a skill and can help someone who's maybe stuck and then receive that help on a different skill. Like we learn better together. Like, so finding those people where you can help each other get unstuck on a technical problem. But I think there's also another piece where like we're, we're humaning together. Like we're learning, we're getting stuck, we're helping, we're receiving help. 
we're supporting each other. Like for me, that's the real strength and where we can do powerful things. Yeah. So find your people. Yeah, that's that's very true. I I mean I'm I'm experiencing that and I think maybe it's gotten worse over the last couple of years because um in the before the pandemic and all of this there would be times when I would get together with other colleagues and we would have an in-person thing. And like that hasn't happened for three years or so now. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, and I'm definitely starting to feel that I'm, I'm starting to feel the fact that I'm, I've been remote like for a long, long time and really remote if you want to call it that the last three years. And I do miss that um, in-person almost collaboration but even just even if it's just being on a video call together with somebody else and like finding and like working together on a thing like talking through a problem i think like even if you're the mentor and you're just talking through a code problem with with somebody i think it that there's that it's great to have that human that human connection and that like feeling that oh now yeah you're getting it you're getting it you're almost there and like yeah that that's it you got it and sometimes it helps you also think through the problem that you haven't thought through for a while and you actually think of better ways of doing things yeah. but just that collaboration that like bouncing ideas of each other and stuff like that i i i miss that and i think it's going to be something that's going to be tricky for us to solve as as the world becomes more and more remote and as people seem to almost retreat more into themselves um it's you know, I think some people have concern about the idea of um virtual reality becoming like something where people really withdraw and and you know, to completely withdraw into that superficial world and what the impact of that would be. And I think we kind of had a little bit of a taste of that the last three years. And I'm not so sure that people have handled it really well if they're being honest with themselves. I think it has had a massive mental health impact on a lot of people that they are only now discovering. Um like for me. Yes. And I I became really close to my neighbor by playing Fortnite with her. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> Not virtual reality, but like video game. And we would, you know, she's very good at the game. So I got to, I got doing something with someone who's something much better than you. It's something I learned a lot faster, but yeah. we would also just talk about like what, what we were proud of that day or like what we were cooking for dinner or like, witness other like hard things that we were each going through so both and. i think yeah i think that's the thing it's it's being able to connect because of, oftentimes like you said you connect over this one thing but it leads to other conversations that you actually find um meaningful yeah it's interesting and i mean i i do i i i'm not anti all these other things i'm not like against vr or anything like that i think it has its place but um, I think we do, we do need to be mindful of how we use this and how we approach it, that it doesn't become an all-consuming thing. I think a lot of people are talking about the metaverse and about is that the next evolution of social media and it's going to be our downfall, so to speak, because... I'm rolling my eyes, the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So much about all these things is kind of like... I should probably read more about it so I have a better understanding of what it's all about. Um, as it seems to have, like, just keeps getting more and more momentum, like Web3 and the whole idea. I mean, some of the Web3 stuff I do find compelling. I like the idea of decentralization 
Um, I like the idea of owning your own content. I think it's incredibly important. For We've given too much of ourselves away for free um, for the longest time. So I do like that, but I think there's a lot of craft going on around that that's just toys. It sometimes feels like toys for rich people. And I don't know what what it's really going to solve, or what it's addressing, or what it's trying to make better. Um, and so that is a slight concern that, that I have with some of these things, but I do think that I need to understand it better because I can't, you can't criticize something if you don't understand it, right? You need to at least give it a chance and say, what, what is this all about? And then maybe you'll find out that there's just a bunch of a minority of loud voices that is, that is making something, make it seem like it's something it's not. And if you actually dig into the real deal, of what what people actually mean when they talk about Web three, then maybe it is a good thing. Maybe it is something we need to move move towards and embrace. Oh, yeah, so I can keep going for for a while, but um, I think this I was this... really like delightful and interesting. Um, it's really nice to see you and also talk about like things that we both really care about and some mm-hmm. some big ideas. Like this this conversation has really filled me up. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you very much. This was really good. It was everything I hoped it would be. (laughs) So that's great. Me too. (laughs) Thanks so much, Dora. I hope you have a lovely day and um, I hope we can chat again. It would be really good. Yeah, and like ping me on the Slack or email me like if there's anything I could ever do to support you or help you. um, Like we are in community and I I truly believe like like we're connected and we can do big things together. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Both ways. Um, have a great night. Yeah, have a great day. <laughs> Thank Bye. you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycenaean Network Podcast. If you're not already, please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycenaean and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.